0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. It's great to see you all. So glad you're here. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Appreciate those of you that are joining us in person. Also appreciate all of you that are watching online. No matter where you may be or how you may be joining us, we're grateful that God has brought you to us today. And I hope you have an incredible experience. Uh, It's great to have you all here. And uh, some of you, this is your first weekend back, and uh, I'm glad to have you. It's great to see you. I met some folks earlier from Blairsville who are checking us out, and uh, that's exciting. And so thank you guys for worshiping with us and being here. We're excited to see uh, what God's going to do. I want to let you know um, at the end of our worship experience, if you haven't been here yet, and um, when we dismiss at the end, we'll dismiss the online audience, and then I need you guys just to sit tight for a minute, and we'll give you instructions on how we are exiting the building. Uh, and so if you would, just be patient with us today. We're doing it a little differently than we have before, but, uh, but be patient with us today. I also want to let you know, um, I know you are probably aware of the, uh, the mandate that's come from Harrisburg regarding masks. And uh, for you, you can look around and see a lot of people are not wearing masks in the room today. And we are not in uh, just in, in blatant rebellion against uh, the government, but uh, houses of worship are exempt from these orders. And so, for us, um, what we want to do is let you know that we encourage you to wear a mask if you're comfortable doing so. If you um, if you feel better about being in a public place by wearing a mask, please do. If you don't feel comfortable wearing a mask, please do not. Whether you wear a mask or not, we're asking you to do a couple things. Number one, use wisdom. Um, If you need to cough or sneeze, don't aim it at your neighbor, okay? (laughs) Just be reasonable about it. Cover your mouth. Uh, try to keep distance from the people around you. Um, just be wise about what you do and how you do it. And I need to, to ask your forgiveness for something because last weekend I had a moment where I realized that I was wrong about something. So the last few weeks, my, my approach has been if people are comfortable shaking hands, I'm gonna shake their hands. And so what I've done is I've asked people, hey, are you comfortable shaking hands? And yes or no, and my feeling is that people would just tell me if they're not, and a couple have, but last weekend, I had a moment where a lady was coming through the lobby, and I said, are you comfortable shaking hands? And she went, ah, and she didn't have to answer me, because her face answered me, like right then, and I realized she's dealing with this tension of, my pastor wants to shake my hand, and I don't want to, but she was feeling the pressure. And I realized that there might be people who have come through the church that they felt pressure. And I don't want anyone to feel any pressure to do anything, to shake hands, to hug, to be closer than you feel comfortable being. I want to make sure we give you as much space as you need. And so I just want you to know, if I didn't shake your hand as you came through the lobby today, it's not because I'm upset with you or don't like you or want you to secretly go to another church. That's not any of my thinking. Okay, I just want to be respectful of what other people's opinions are and what their feelings are, and I don't want you to feel any pressure. So if you want me to shake your hand, if you'll. If you'll initiate, I'll reciprocate. How about that? So if you'll stick your hand out, I promise I'll shake it. Um, Or if you come in for a hug, I'm going to hug you. But I just want you to be aware of that. And so I just realized I was wrong. And so if if I've offended you or if I invaded your space or if you felt pressure from me over the last few weeks, I'm sorry for that. Uh, That was not my intent at at all. But I, I just want you to know we want you to feel comfortable here. We want you to feel safe here. And if you feel sick, if you've got symptoms, please, again, just use wisdom, stay home. If you're at risk, if you're elderly, um, use wisdom, stay home. If you're uncomfortable, please uh, do whatever you feel like you need to do. Um, So that's the first thing. The second thing is just be humble. Whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask, don't be a jerk about it. Um, Does that make sense? Can, Can we just agree on that? Like, I'm okay with you feeling like you need to wear a mask. I'm okay with you feeling like you shouldn't wear a mask. Just don't be a jerk about it. If we can do that, life will be a lot better for all of us. And the last thing is this: just trust God. Can we just say I'm not going to worry about what the federal government says or what Harrisburg says, CDC, the who, who, not the band, the who? I'm talking about the World Health Organization. I don't really care what the who says either. If they come out with a statement on whether we should wear masks, I'm not concerned about the British rock band. But. can we just trust God and say, God, we're going to trust you. We're going to exercise wisdom. We're going to we're going to try to be smart about the decisions we make. But we're going to trust you through this. So that's my encouragement to you guys today. At this point, we're going to continue to live with the protocols that we have set out, that we feel good about so far, which were social distancing and taking time, space, things like that, and how we get out of here. And I mentioned early on We've actually uh, put a new filtration system on our air conditioner so that the air in this room is turned over uh, every hour or less. And so, um, so literally it's scrubbed and filtered and cleaned. So the, the, the air in this room has never been cleaner than it is right now. So we, are, we have taken steps to try to make sure that this place is safe and healthy. And, uh, and so we just want to be wise. All right, that concludes our COVID-19 portion of today's worship experience. So today we are beginning a series on the book of Jonah. And I know what you might be thinking. You might think, Jonah, that's a kid's story. And if that's what you think Jonah is, you could not be further from the truth. Jonah is a very adult story, and we're going to get into that today. If you think it is just the stuff of kids' nurseries, you know, with their crib and there's a whale with a guy and that's what the book of Jonah is, you are sadly mistaken. And so we're going to get into that today. Um, just to give you a heads up, over the next four weeks, we're going to go through the book of Jonah. So there's four chapters in the book of Jonah. There's four weeks in the series. I don't know if you see where we're going, but I'm going to help you. Week one, we're going to cover Jonah chapter one. Week two, we're going to cover Jonah chapter two. Okay, some of you got that. I thought I heard a three out there somewhere. <laughs> Jonah, cha- uh, Week three, we're covering Jonah chapter three. That's right. And week four, we're covering Jonah chapter four. Four. So just making sure. So if you want to read ahead, please do. They're short chapters. Uh, so if you want to read Jonah chapter two this week in preparation for next week, I'd love for you to. So please do that. Um, the book of Jonah is interesting for a lot of different reasons. What we see in the book of Jonah is um, contextually uh, the Assyrians were the dominant world empire at that time. It's kind of the tail end of the Assyrian empire. Uh, their, their, their influence on the world was beginning to wane. So this is the final phase of their, their empire. But they were still very strong. Uh, the Assyrians were known as a terrorist, a terrorist regime because of how brutal they were to the people that they would conquer. Um, there are many stories I could tell you about the brutality of the Assyrians. One of the stories that, that really has caught my attention uh, is that they would, it wasn't uncommon for them to capture enemy soldiers and to chop off their legs and to chop off one of their arms and to leave one arm available so that they could shake their hand in mockery as they died. That's hardcore. This is what they did. Um, they, they did things physically, they did things socially. I mean, even in this moment, they didn't want to just kill somebody, they wanted to humiliate them in their death. Uh, this was the mindset. It's interesting because the Assyrians, one of the acts of worship for their gods, and they had a multitude of gods, but one of their acts of worship was to wage war. They felt like they brought glory to their gods when they waged war on other nations. Uh, and this played itself out in so many areas of what the Assyrians did and how they did it. Um, what we see is the Assyrian Empire wanes and it comes, goes into the Babylonian Empire who never ascended to the heights that the Assyrian Empire did. There's a lot of commonalities, a lot of common gods. They shared a very similar language. Uh, so the Babylonians were on the scene for a while, and we know that in biblical history we see that. Uh, but then after the Babylonians is the rise of Alexander the Great, and then after Alexander the Great is the rise of the Roman Empire. So we see contextually this is where the story is nestled uh, in world history. Um, in the book of Jonah, uh, sometimes the stories aren't linear. They don't make sense to us sometimes in scripture, how they all line up and what happened where. But uh, Hosea, Amos, and Jonah were contemporaries. So they all served the northern kingdom of Israel. And Israel was split into two kingdoms the southern kingdom of Judah, northern kingdom of Israel. And Hosea, Jonah, and Amos served as prophets. In the northern kingdom in, in Israel. And Israel was ruled by a man, his name is Jeroboam the Second. His dad, as you might have guessed, is Jeroboam the First. Neither one of them were very good kings. They were both guys that the scripture describes as sinners. They were people who didn't honor God with their thoughts, with their actions. Uh, they were actually called out by some of the prophets as being faithless at times. Um, and, and what we see is these were not good kings, and so these prophets, they had influence and sway during this season, and they were contemporaries of each other, so they probably knew each other, probably fairly well to some degree. Uh, scripture isn't explicit about that, but I think we can we can assume that. Um, liter- from a literary perspective, we see the book of Jonah has a lot of symmetry and uh, it is really beautifully written. So in Jonah chapter 1, in Jonah chapter 3, there is uh, some parallels because Jonah is addressing people and specifically non-Jewish people who, Gentiles, that he probably would have looked at as, as in some way, subhuman. Uh, because of his Israeli Jewish heritage, his Hebrew heritage, uh, he probably looked at them a little differently. And so uh, chapters 1 and 3 are, are, he, are he engaging with unbelievers. And then chapters 2 and 4 are, uh, are geared around Jonah engaging God. So in chapter 2, it's almost solely a prayer. Um, and then what we see in chapter 4 is it talks about the interactions between Jonah and God. And so the major action, it kind of, there's kind of a flow to it where you see some similarities, chapter 1 and 3, chapter 2 and 4. Um, and so it was written well from a literary perspective. We also see uh, satire at work in this story. So satire is basically the use of irony, to prove a point. And so sometimes when we think about satire in the world we live in today, there are, are websites like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Babylon Bee. It's a website, it's a satirical news website. It's Christian based, um, but they will put out just satirical news. It's funny and it's fake, it's not real, um, but people sometimes will share that stuff as if it is real. But, but what they do is they will take a grain of truth. And they will, they will speak a real truth from that using irony, um, using satire. And so what we see in the book of Jonah is this is a real story, but it's, it's somewhat satirical because of the use of irony. So what we see in the book of Jonah is all these people, all the major players do what you don't expect them to do. They they act in ways, behave in ways that you don't expect them to behave. They do something different than what you normally expect. So it's ironic, and we'll see that in chapter 1 even. Um, Another reason the story is unique is because prophetic books are usually largely about the word of God that's given through the prophet. So the prophet is a minor player in the story. He just happens to be the vehicle for the message of God. What we see in the book of Jonah is Jonah is one of the prominent characters in this story. And he's not the star of the story. God is the star of the story. But Jonah is uh, an important figure in this story. Um, I mentioned this in in the last service. I love our production team. We have the best production team here at Summit Church running cameras and sound and lights and the streaming service online. Don't you believe we got the best production team anywhere in the world? That's what I thought. Okay. And I've told our production team, The bad news for you is if you do your job well, no one notices you. They only pay attention when you don't do your job well. So when something doesn't work, that's when you notice the production team. And unfortunately, it's like that many times with prophets. If they're doing their job well, you don't really notice them, but you hear the word of God coming from them. So the fact that we pay so much attention to Jonah in this story probably is not a good sign for Jonah. Um, and so that's that's a little foreshadowing there. Uh, the second thing is this. Prophets were typically called to speak to Israel and not to Gentiles. Very rarely do we ever see God speak to them to, to go outside of Israel to speak God's truth. And the third thing is this. Uh, this is a real revelation of God's love and mercy for the world and for Israel. Because God is sending Jonah outside of the norm to do something that they really didn't understand. And so what they're seeing here is that God, God's love and his mercy extends not just to the chosen people of Israel, but to even people who are, are bad, like the Assyrians. So with that said, let me jump into Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, let me stop there. I'm not going to preach a whole message on this verse. I I promise I won't, don't worry. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So what we're going to see, we're going to see this phrase a couple times. And again, there's symmetry in how this is written. So the word of the Lord came to to Jonah. He speaks to Jonah and he says in verse two, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for the evil, their evil has come up before me. So he says, arise, get up from where you are and go to Nineveh. Now, geographically speaking, uh, where Jonah was, was um, around 300 miles to Nineveh. Nineveh was inland. So you had to go further inland. You had to go, you had to go east in order to get there. And he says, arise and go to Nineveh. Now, this is, this is significant because Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire at this time. And so this was a big deal. You're going into the belly of the beast. This is what he's saying. Go to, go to Nineveh, the, the town where they take great pleasure in slaughtering their enemies in really horrific ways. Again, this is not the stuff you're putting on murals in your kid's nursery, right? <laughs> There's just pictures of guys with their legs cut off. And it's like, well, it's real. It's like, well, now your kids have nightmares, right? Um, so he says, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. Go preach my truth to the people there. And, and what he says is, he says, call out against it. And this, this phrase, call out against it, 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 another way to interpret it is preach to it. So go to to where the evil is, go to where it's totally depraved and preach to it. And then Jonah chapter one verse three. You, this is this is what you expect, right? You expect the man of God to be like, yes, God, you're with me. I'm going to go, and that's not how it went. It says, but Jonah rose. So God said, arise. He did rise. He arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them. Where? To Tarshish. I don't know why they had to put that three times in this verse, but they really wanted you to know where he intended to go. And by the way, just spoil alert. He doesn't make it three times. He's really intent on getting to Tarshish. Never gets there. He's going to go with them to Tarshish. And again, it says away from the presence of the Lord. So, so let me point a couple things out here. Um, the, the word went down, he went down to, or went descended is the way it could be literally interpreted. Uh, the Hebrew word here is, uh, is yarad, and yarad um, has an implication, it's got a, literally, a literal meaning which means to descend, so if I was going down the steps, uh, I would be descending the steps, but there is, there is a, a figurative implication as well that it, it, it implies death. Or hell. Um, so think about it this way. And remember, from, from a spiritual perspective, I used to think when I was a kid, if I just dug a hole deep enough, we would eventually get to hell. You remember like the Bugs Bunny cartoons where they'd start digging and they'd fall out, and like, you know, there was the devil there? Like, have you ever seen something? And all of my cultural experiences are based on Looney Tunes, okay? So bear with me. So, right? So, this is the idea you go down to hell, you go up to heaven. Have you ever been talking to somebody about somebody who passed away and they're like, oh, Granny's probably looking down on us from heaven right now. And you're thinking, she might be looking up on us right now. I'm not sure, right? (laughs) Let's be honest. You've known some people like that. I've preached some sermons for people like that. (laughs) Like their funerals. It's like, oh, this is tough. So let's be honest. The idea is they're down or up and that is not where heaven is. Heaven is not up. Hell is not down, but there's this idea in language that you descend, you go down into the grave, you go down into hell. And so what we see here is this, from a literary perspective, this tool that's used to help see the direction that Jonah is actually going. He goes down, he descends to Joppa. He goes down to this port. He descends into the the belly of this this boat. Uh, And what we see in just a moment, he makes a pallet and he goes to sleep. So he's, he's going down, he's going down, he's, he's descending. And this is what I want you to hear. Every step away from God's plan for you is a step toward death. Every time we know what God is asking us to do and we willingly do something else, it is a step toward death, spiritual and physical death in our lives. It's important for us to understand this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much you give. It doesn't matter what you drive. It doesn't matter what role you have in this church. When you willingly do something that's opposite of what God wants for your life, it's a step not just away from God, but it's a step toward death. And we see here he's making this conscientious decision to, to, to flee from the presence of God. He's going to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He's literally saying, where do you want me to go? Oh, you want me to go here? Then I'm gonna go here. He's literally going in the opposite direction, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, why would a prophet do that? Why would a man of God, why would somebody who should know better, why would he do that? And I've got a couple answers for you, I believe. The first I would say is this. Um, he probably hated the Assyrians, which based on the little bit I just told you would be understandable. Um, he probably hated them. And it wasn't just because they were mean. There were probably some deeper issues for Jonah than that. Um, one of the books, if you want to go deeper in this topic, a book that I would encourage you to read and pick up uh, during this series is a book by a man named Tim Keller. It's called The Prodigal Prophet, and it's about Jonah. And it is worth the read. It's, a, it's good, and uh, it's a pretty easy read. So you can pick that up on Amazon and read that if you'd like. Um, but, but he talks about this a little bit, um, and what we see is Amos and Hosea routinely called out Jeroboam II because of his views, because of what he did, because of his faithlessness. So they would call him out publicly, because that's what prophets did. But what we see of Amos, I'm sorry, what we see of Jonah is he affirms Jeroboam, and Specifically in, uh, in the book of 2 Kings, in 2 Kings chapter 14, we see there's a prophecy that, Amos, that Jonah has given that says, hey, the land is gonna prosper. We're gonna take back property. We're gonna extend the borders. This, we're, we're gonna, this country's gonna be great. Like, it's gonna be awesome, king. Just wait, God's gonna work. He's gonna extend your borders. It's gonna be the biggest we've been since Solomon. That's a good thing, especially if you're the king, you'd like to hear that. But then what we see is in Amos chapter six, Amos comes back and says, you know what the Lord said? The Lord said that he's gonna shrink your borders. That he's actually gonna, if you take that land, he's gonna take it back, is what he said. And so what we see is this contradiction between these two. And uh, and this is one of the things Keller says in his book, and I wanna share this with you, he says this. He said, the original readers of the book of Jonah would have remembered him, Jonah, as an intensely patriotic and highly partisan nationalist. Now this word nationalist in the context we live in today is highly charged and it has lots of different meanings depending on your perspective. But, but what, what they're trying to communicate about Jonah is this. Jonah was deeply patriotic. He was proud of his heritage. He was proud of who he was, which is not a bad thing. I will tell you, um, I, am, I am so glad that I was born in the United States of America. I am so glad for my American citizenship. I am grateful for that. I'm grateful for men and women who have sacrificed, who have served our nation, and, and helped, helped bring liberty and freedom to us to be able to worship the way we do and live the way we do. I'm grateful for that. So don't under, misunderstand what I'm about to say. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Um, Jonah's problem is a problem that we have at times and is a problem that's plagued humanity since the beginning of time. It's an identity issue. Um, We talked about this a few weeks ago. Paul talks to the Ephesian church, and he tells the Ephesian church, hey, some of the conflict you have is because you don't remember that you're primarily Christians, that you are Greek and Jewish after you're Christians, that your primary identity is that as a believer, a child of God first and foremost. And then after that, you are your ethnicity, you are your nationality, you are your gender. All those things fall underneath your primary identity as that as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a child of God, that that our primary citizenship is heaven. And if, if anything supersedes that, it's going to affect how we live our lives. And so Paul says this to the New Testament church in Ephesus. We see this in Jonah in the Old Testament, thousands of years before the birth of Jesus. And so, or hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. So what we see is the same thing as at work today. So what happens so many times for us is we filter what God is saying to us through our our, our views of ourselves, our view of our identity, that I, I'm an American citizen and then I'm a man and I'm a, here's what I am and I'm gonna, I'm gonna filter what God says through this lens and that is the wrong way to do it. This is what Jonah did. And so this is why when, when God speaks to him or he believes God's speaking to him, it's easy for him to go, hey, God is saying we're gonna win. God is saying he's gonna bless you, king, even though God couldn't bless this king because he was a faithless man. So, so what happens is we, we hear God speak to us or we think God's speaking to us and we filter it through our identity, who we say we are, who we feel like we are, our experiences, our baggage, all these things and we come out with a message that may or may not be what the actual heart of God is. But when we shift our identity and go, no, 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 you know what, before anything else, my primary identity is that as a child of God, then it allows us to hear an unfiltered word from God. And it may not be what we want to hear, but it's a healthier message for us. And so what we see is we've got to be careful that we don't filter God through our experiences. This is why there was a picture of my granny's house when I was a kid, my, my dad's mom. And I remember it was a picture of Jesus. And it was, a, I mean, one of the most famous paintings of Jesus of all time. And it was, you know, Caucasian Jesus with long hair. He had the center part, you know, like right down the middle, long hair, blue eyes, kind of looking longingly in the distance. Like you probably have seen the picture, right? Um, and, and this is the thing. We know Jesus wasn't a white guy with blue eyes and a British accent. That wasn't the case, okay? (laughs) He did not speak in the King James, okay? He spoke Aramaic. So what we see is this, too many times we have made God into our image. And we go, well, of course God is a Republican. Of course God is a Democrat. Of course God is black. Of course God is white. Of course God thinks like I do, because what's happened is we filter the word of God through us and we've shaped God into our image instead of allowing him to shape us into his image. You thought I was just gonna tell a kid's story this weekend, didn't you? You're like, oh, Jonah. It'd be a nice little kid's story. So what we have to do is what Jonah didn't do. We have to allow God to speak to us in an unfiltered way. The second thing is this. Um, just practically speaking, Jonah was probably afraid for his life. He ran because he was afraid he would die. And I don't blame him. The odds of him dying in the natural were pretty high, Right? If I go to Nineveh and preach about God and tell them they're all going to die if they don't repent, they're going to kill me. That's what's going to happen. And I don't see any good reason why this is is going to happen, why this should take place. There is no good reason, God, that you would send me there. So since I don't see any good reason, you must be wrong. Since I don't see any good reason why I should go, I'm justified in running away from you. Because maybe you don't know what you're talking about. Maybe you're out of line. Maybe you're not as good as I thought you were. So I'm going to run. And we do the same thing. Um, Maybe it's when we get laid off. And that's okay. If you've ever been laid off before, the first day you're laid off, you're You've kind of got some energy. You're kind of, okay, but I'm nervous, but we're going to be fine. We got this. It's going to be good. I got lots of prospects. And six weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks goes by, and all your prospects have dried up. And now you're beginning to wonder, well, God, there's no good reason why I'm going through this. There's no good reason. I can't see why you would do this. There's not a good reason. So there must be something wrong with you, God. Maybe you're a kid, and your parents sit you down and say, we're getting a divorce. As a child, you go, there's no good reason for this. So because I don't see any good reason for this, God must be bad. God can't be good. He can't be loving. He can't be merciful. He has no plan. Maybe, maybe you're in a relationship that you thought would last forever that comes crashing down around you. And right in the middle of it, you're saying, there's no good reason for this. God, I don't see why you would do this. I don't see why you would allow this. Maybe it's sitting in the doctor's office, and they give you the news from your oncologist, and you sit there in stunned silence for a moment. You're thinking, I don't deserve this. There is not a good reason for this, God. Why would you let this happen? If you're really good... And we have a decision to make. And the question that we have to ask ourselves in those moments is can we really trust God? Can I really trust God? When he does things that don't seem to make sense, when he does things or asks me to do something that doesn't make any sense to me, can I really trust him? Because this is the question Jonah had to ask himself. And the answer that he came to was no, I cannot. I can't trust God. He would put my life in danger. I can't trust God. He would ask me to do something that could end my life to people who don't deserve it because I could probably go and preach and they're not gonna accept it anyway. There's no good reason for me to do this. So I can't trust God. And what he did is he ran. Verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. I want you to notice that. It says, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. God sent the wind. He sent the storm. We've talked about this at great length in the past. Um, God doesn't send every storm into your life. But he wants to use every storm in your life in redemptive ways for his glory. So just because you're going through a stormy season doesn't mean God's trying to punish you or you're bad. But he wants to use it for his glory. But I do want you to hear this. Every sin in my life that's unrepentant of uh, will usher in a storm to my life. So every sin is attached to a storm, even though every storm is not attached to a sin. So I can can guarantee you, if, if I live in unrepentant sin it can be secret sin nobody knows about but i live with sin in my life there will be a storm that comes my way count on it iron clad take it to the bank it's going to happen so what i would tell you today is if you're going through a storm it's important for you not to automatically go well i must be in sin because there are segments of the faith community that believe that that if you're going through a bad season it's probably your fault, and that's not right at all. That's, that's bad theology. What we see is this, though. When we're going through a storm, it's important for us to pause and go, God, is there something in my heart? Are you trying to get my attention about something? Are you trying to reveal something to me? Are you trying to show me something? And if so, God, help me see it. So God sends the storm to get Jonah's attention. <laughs> and the funny thing is, it doesn't get his attention. Let me read verse five. Then the mariners, so these were the sailors, they were afraid, they were terrified, and each cried out to his gods. So they're all praying to their own gods, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So they wanted to lighten the weight of the boat so it would stay more buoyant. So they start throwing their cargo overboard. Now, I don't know about sailing, but I know this. If you don't take your cargo to where it's supposed to go, you don't get paid for it. So they're literally throwing money overboard. This is how scared they are. They think they're gonna lose their lives. It says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. God was trying to get his attention and he was getting everyone's attention except for Jonah's. Jonah was asleep in the middle the belly of the boat. Verse six, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So what he's saying is, um, we've tried everything else. We've prayed to every other God. Maybe there's a God left that can help us. So why don't you try your God? Give it a shot, my man. That's what he's saying. I don't know if you notice this. J- Jonah's sin a- attracts the storm, and he's sleeping in the middle of it. But everybody else around him is impacted by it. Many times we think that our, our sin is going to be fine, nobody's going to know. It's not that big a deal. I've got it under control. It's not hurting anybody. But I want you to know this your sin will attract a storm that's going to impact people all around you. There are going to be people in your life that are deeply impacted by the storm that is attracted to the sin in your life, the unrepentant sin. There are going to be unintended consequences. There are going to be people that you love that are paying a price for something they didn't deserve to pay the price for. While you sleep in the boat, there are going to be people that are terrified of losing their lives. So what we see here is he tells them, pray, pray to your God. Maybe it'll work out. Verse seven, it says, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us? They, They said, we want to figure out who to blame. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what are your people? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, this is interesting to me. Um... Because Jonah says, <laughs> "I'm a Hebrew." He t- gives him the rundown. He tells him the story, but he says, "I fear the Lord," which he does not fear the Lord. Because if he really feared the Lord, when God said, "Arise, go to Nineveh," he'd have been like, "Look at he split. Let's go." Right? I'm ready. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not excited about it. But you know what? God, I, I honor you. I respect you. So I'm going to go. So he said the right thing. He's a prophet of the Lord. He's a prophet of God. He's a Hebrew. He's he's this man, right? He says, "I fear the Lord." He talked a good game, but he didn't. He didn't really fear the Lord. There is there is a disconnect between what he said he believed and what he actually believed. His professed faith was different than his functional faith because what he actually put his faith in was not God. He didn't actually fear God, or he would have gone. And the same is true for us. So many times we have a a verbalized, a spoken faith and we have a functional faith, a faith that we actually believe in. So we might say things like, I'm a Christian. I go to Summit. Of course I'm a Christian. I got the Summit sticker on my car. It doesn't get more Christian than that, baby. Right? (laughs) I want people to know I'm a Christian. Maybe if you're really saved, you put one on the front and the back. Like I'm double Christian. I don't know. (laughs) I put money in the offering box. I joined a small group. I went through growth track. It took me six months, but I still went through growth track. Right? And we do all the things, and we go, yeah, I'm good. And then when a storm comes up, we go, oh, yeah, I fear the Lord. But our actions say we don't actually fear the Lord. How we respond says there's a disconnect between what we say we believe and what we actually believe. Verse 10, then... The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, they said to Jonah, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So he tells them the story and they go, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? You don't run from God. These guys are lost. They're serving other gods. And in this moment, they still say, you would be nuts to run away from the presence of the Lord. You've put our lives in jeopardy now. Verse 11, they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may, be quiet, or may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So this is what happens. They said, What do we need to do? And he says... Hurl me into the sea, and thou shalt be saved. Like, this is the way I imagined it when I was a kid. Like, he was going to take one for the team, right? Like, this is so noble of him to, like, step up, and and I will sacrifice myself for you guys. That's the way I imagined it. And what I've realized is that is not the case at all. If he was really going to be noble and sacrifice himself for these men, he would have just, he wouldn't even made a speech. He would have just been like, peace, and dove in the water. That would have been it. Right? That would have been the end of the story. Like They would have been like, well, that was nice of him. Great. That's not what happened, though. What he says is, hurl me into the sea. Throw me, you men, throw me in, and then it'll be fine. And what he's saying is, I would rather die than do what God's called me to do. I would rather lose my life than be obedient to God. And beyond that... I believe he didn't want to be guilty of suicide, so he wanted these men to be guilty of murder. So he was unwilling to throw himself in to to be self-sacrificial. So he says, you guys throw me in. I'll take one for you. It's okay. Throw me in. And the men continued to row because they knew that wasn't right. So they said, no, we're gonna get back to dry land. And they rowed and rowed. They couldn't get it done. So finally we see in Jonah chapter one, verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. I used to believe that they were praying this prayer in the midst of the storm. So they're rowing and they're, oh, it's storms everywhere and waters, and they're terrified and they pray, God, please save us. We'll do whatever we have to do. Even if we have to throw this guy in, we'll throw him in, but just save us. And that's not what the prayer is. The prayer is, God, we know this is wrong. We're going to throw this guy into the sea. We're going to kill him. We know this is wrong. God, please forgive us. This blood is going to be on our hand. Please have mercy on us. And they throw him in the water. Now, this is the point of the story you would think it would end. Like, the men's story ends and Jonah's story ends, right? And Jonah, this is what he was envisioning. Okay, I'm going to end it all. I I can avoid Nineveh. I can get out of this turmoil mess, and I'm just going to die. I'm going to drown right here. And these men thought, man, the storm ended. We're good. But that's not where the story ended for either one of these parties. If if you look on in verse 16, it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. So they see God work in this moment. They fear him exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. (laughs) Wait a second. These are the same guys that moments earlier were praying to their other gods, and they had such a revelation of God's mercy in this moment that they said, forget about our gods. We recognize there's one true God, and we're going to worship him. We're going to offer him sacrifice. We're going to make vows before him. But the prophet of God, the man of God, failed to do that. He'd rather die than do what God asked him to do. So, what we see here is our people are acting differently than we expect them to act. They're behaving in ways that we don't expect them to behave. What's interesting to me is these guys were totally lost. They were openly serving other gods. They didn't care about the, the God of, of Israel, Yahweh. They didn't care about him. But in this moment, they experienced the God of Israel, and their lives changed. Jonah didn't care about these guys' lives. He, again, he was a man of God, but he didn't care. He was doing his own thing. He he was fine with them being guilty for his murder. So the prophet of God didn't care, but this is what God does. God used this man, this flawed, deeply flawed prophet, Jonah, to bring reconciliation and new life to these men on the boat. These sailors who had no expectation of meeting God in this moment met God. And maybe you've seen... uh, Prominent ministers fall from grace. Maybe they had big churches or TV ministries or whatever, and they got into trouble and they fell. And I've had people ask me, Mel, is, what, is the fruit of their ministry legitimate? I mean, people got saved, people were healed. Was that real or not? And I've told people that's absolutely real, 100%. They said, well, why would God use somebody like that? And, and, and I told them the same thing I'll tell you right now. If God only used perfect people, there would be no pastors in this world. <laughs> Thank God he uses flawed and messed up people, because I, I am one. And God will even use people who are living in unrepentant sin for a season. He won't let it go on forever, but he'll, he'll use someone who's living in unrepentant sin for a while until that storm comes. And the reason is because God loves people so much that he will use flawed people as a tool to rescue them. He'll use somebody like Jonah, who had some some views about things that were contrary to God. But God said, I can use this guy to reach these sailors. I love these sailors so much, I'm gonna use Jonah. You know what Jonah's gonna run from me? And that's not what I want, but he's going to go run for me. And he's going to get on this boat, and, and there's some guys on that boat that I can bring to knowledge of me and save. That's how much God loves us. The mercy of God is going forth in spite of flawed vessels, in spite of people like me, in spite of people like Jonah. God's mercy is being extended to people that he loves. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord sent the wind, he sent the storm to get Jonah's attention. It didn't get Jonah's attention. Jonah thought, I'm just I'm just gonna die. This will end this real quick. <laughs> and God said, not so fast. <laughs> you think you think death is gonna get you out of this? I don't think so, buddy. And God, sent a, God appointed a great fish to come and swallow him. You know, this story is all about running, it, virtually. It really is about God's mercy. And when we run, God runs after us. He's been in hot pursuit of your soul since the beginning of time. There's a story that Jesus tells. It's a story of the prodigal son. And... What we see in this story, and we've talked about it here several times, there was a rich man and he had two sons. One was an older and one was a younger son. The younger son comes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. He basically says, I don't wanna live in your rules. I don't wanna live in your house. I don't like the culture of this place. I don't like what you're trying to do. I'm out of here. And he leaves, he runs. And what we see in this young man's life is he squanders his father's wealth. He squanders in his inheritance. He is as low as he could possibly get and one day he decides, maybe I can go home and be a slave to my dad just one of his servants. If I could just be a servant, life would be better than it is right now. So he he ran, but then he was reconciled. And then you got the older son. And the older son looked the part, he was faithful, he stuck around, he worked in the field, he did whatever he was supposed to do. And then when the younger son comes home, he sees his father's response. And his father responds in such a way that it makes the older son angry. Because what he sees his father do is he sees his father put a robe around his son's shoulders. And he sees his father put shoes on his little brother's feet. And he sees him put a ring on his little brother's hand. And he's angry about it. And in this moment, this, this, this person who looks like he's been faithful who looks like he's done everything he's supposed to do, who looks the part, it's revealed that although he didn't leave the house, his heart was never captured by his father. And as a result, he was running just as much as his brother was. And what we see in the story of Jonah is Jonah's is just like both of these brothers. He, he ran physically, he was trying to avoid the presence of God, but what we also see is he had this veil of religious spirit in his life that he was running from God as well in that way, that he said, um, I'm gonna look good, I'm gonna look the part, I'm the man of God. But God hadn't really captured his heart because the moment his father behaved in a way that he didn't like, he threw a fit. So today, maybe you're running. Maybe you're like that young son who's just saying, forget it, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with religion. It's all made up, it's all a myth. I want you to know something. (laughs) No matter how far you have run, the moment you turn, is that word repent, it just means go in the opposite direction. The moment you repent, you turn, you're gonna run headlong into God. And the reason is, is because he is following you and chasing behind you so closely, the second you turn, you're gonna run smack into each other. Maybe you're here and you do all the right things. You know all the right things to say. You know when to raise your hand. You know when to do the stuff that acts the right way and all the language and all the behaviors, but at the end of the day, the Father hasn't really captured your heart. The moment the Father does something that's different than what you think he should do, you throw a fit. So maybe you're running too. And if the Holy Spirit's convicting you of these things today, I want you to know there's lots of grace here. And God is not convicting you to squash you. He's convicting you to bring you home, to reconcile you. So I want to give you that opportunity. If you would, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. If you're watching online, I just want you to pray with us. So bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you that since the beginning of time, you have been pursuing us and chasing after us. And God, even today, there are people in this room, there are people watching online, that we're running from you. We're running from you in open rebellion or maybe a quiet rebellion in our own heart, but God, whatever the case is, we declare today we're gonna stop running. We're done running from you. And we're ready to submit our our hearts to you and trust you. God, we acknowledge today when we ask the question, can we trust you? The answer is yes. Yes. So we're done running today. We trust you. Even if you don't respond the way we would, we trust you. Even if you send us into difficult situations, we trust you. Even if a storm comes our way, we trust you. We declare that today. So God, I do pray for those that are dealing with storms. Maybe it was a storm of their own creation. Maybe it was a storm just because of the world we live in, because of The fall, because of sin, we live in a world with disease. We live in a world with accidents and problems and issues. So God, no matter how the storm is created, if we're in a storm today, I just pray mercy on those that are walking through storms. I pray peace on those that are walking through storms. I pray comfort on those that are walking through storms today. And I pray more than anything else, you would help those walking through storms hear your voice clearly. I pray your Holy Spirit would comfort or with your head bowed and your eyes closed. My question for you today is, will you trust God? If you've been running, will you trust God? Will you acknowledge what Jonah did not acknowledge, that maybe you don't have all the answers, maybe you're not smarter than God and and you're able to trust him in spite of what you don't see, don't feel, don't know. So if you're here today and maybe you're running and you say today, I'm tired of running, I'm done. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna surrender it all. I just wanna trust God and walk with him. If that's you and you wanna be included in this final prayer, I would love for you to just slip your hand up real high where I can see it and you can put it right back down. Is there any, you'd say, Mel, pray for me. Yeah, thank you. I see you. Praise God. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel. Today's my day. I'm tired of running. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. Yeah, thank you. I see you on my left. Praise the Lord. Yeah, thank you, madam in the center section. Awesome. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? You can say, Mel, include me in that prayer. All right. I'd like everybody in this place and everybody watching online to pray this prayer with me. I want you to say this out loud. The word of God tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I want you to pray this with your mouth, but I want you to mean it from the core of the depths of who you are. So say this out loud with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I turn away from my old life and I commit to chase after you. I'm done with running. I am yours. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that prayer with us today and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to know you're a new creation today. The old is gone and the new has come. And we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So the simplest thing for you to do would be to simply text the word, whether you're watching online or here in the room, text the word different to the number nine four zero zero zero, And we're going to respond back to you, and we're going to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So if, if you're If you're wanting to respond right now, you prayed that prayer with us and you've been made different, then we just want you to text different to 94,000. When you do that, we're gonna respond back. We'll get you a Bible in the mail. We'll give you resources. We wanna help you take the next step. If you're here in the room and would rather just take the card out and see back in front of you, it says salvation on one side, prayer on the other. Fill out the side that says salvation. And then as you're exiting the building today, either door, uh, give it to the person who's there at the info center and give it to them. And they're gonna give you a new Bible and they're gonna help you take the next step. So thank you. I'm so proud of you. For those of you that respond, I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do in your life. So thank you for trusting God today. Um, At the end of services. Normally, we have a prayer team at the front of the room. For right now, we don't do that because uh, we want to maintain social distance, but that doesn't mean that prayer ends. So if you have a prayer need of any kind, there's a couple ways you can let us know. If you're watching online, uh, you can chat or you can pray with somebody live right now. So hit that. Let, uh, let us know. Hit the live prayer button. And let us know. We're going to connect with you and we're going to help you. Uh, if you're here in the room and want prayer, the simplest thing for you to do is to, to email your need to prayer at summitpa.church. You can email it or you can fill the card out that's in the seat back in front of you. And all of our, our staff, our prayer team, our, uh, our prayer chain, they're all gonna be able to pray with you about your need. And if you don't want everybody to know, hey, your name and all your business, that's okay. Um, you can make that a private and that way we'll be praying for the need even though we don't know who we're specifically praying for. So let us know because prayer advances and keeps going even though we don't have our prayer team joining us here at the front of the room. So let us pray with you. Uh, I tell you guys every week, I hope you know it. I love you. Give me a second. I love you guys more than you know. And I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.